Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. One of the most interesting and difficult experiences I've ever had in my life actually happened because I took a sleep study. My wife was a little concerned about my snoring and maybe concerned about sleep apnea. And so my doctor prescribed a sleep study to be done. And so I, you know, you have to know this first of all, actually, before I get into this story, sleeping is one of my spiritual gifts. I mean, I can fall asleep anywhere, anytime, any place, and very quickly, it drives my wife crazy, but it is a spiritual gift of mine. But this sleep study was a little different. First of all, you're in a, a, a different place. It's kind of uncomfortable, it's unfamiliar. I think I forgot my pillow, my trusty everyday pillow, and so it was an unfamiliar pillow. And then they strap these leads to your head, these electronic leads, they strap to your forehead and they just go, all right, lay on your back and go to sleep. Well, I'm a side sleeper, not a back sleeper, and so I'm uncomfortable from the very beginning. I'm tossing and turning, my thoughts are racing, my heart's starting to beat a little faster, and I just can't get settled. And then I think about something for just a minute. I think about, well, you know, my only job here is to go to sleep. And somehow that's now triggered me and I'm having like these thoughts of what happens if I can't fall asleep? Like you, my, my mind is, is racing even more. My, my heart is beating even faster now. I'm tossing and turning. And then I have this thought, well, someone is observing me as this is going on. Like, what if someone's in the room and they're judging me because I can't fall asleep? And, and then, you know, an hour or two pass by and I feel like I, I haven't even gotten a wink of sleep yet. And, and then I realized, well, I spent a lot of money on this sleep study and money was a difficult thing in my life at this time in my life. And so what if I wasted my money on this sleep study and I never fall asleep. And so all in all, they said I got maybe one hour of sleep that entire night, but I don't think I slept a wink the entire evening. And it reminded me of something. It reminded me of how exhausting worry can be, how tiring worry can be, how becoming so fixated and consumed on our circumstances or a problem or a fear in our lives can grip us and debilitate us so much so that we can't enjoy life, we can't enjoy things, we can't accomplish what God wants us to do. And I wonder this morning, how many of you today live almost every day like this when it comes to worry? And how tiring that must be, how exhausted you must be. Maybe you came in this morning just for a little rest, just for a little peace. I want to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. George Barna did a study of all adults in the U.S. and uh, 60% struggle with worry daily, which means most of, this, most of us in this room actually have this problem. We have this struggle. We have this difficulty. So you're not alone. Not surprisingly, the Bible talks about worry. And we're going to look at what Jesus said about worry in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, Jesus taught us the character of people who live in God's kingdom. Jesus taught us about the condition of our hearts and the transformation that could take place because of his work in our lives and our relationship with him. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus focuses like a laser on the issue of worry in our lives. 
These are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I want you to hear this whole text out loud before we dive in verse by verse. I'm using the CSB translation if you want to follow me in your Bible app and see what I'm reading. Let's start at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to your life from worry? Just one second here. Well, this is the problem with electronics. And why do you worry about clothes? Verse 28. Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, notice what Jesus repeats three times in this passage. He gives us a command. Don't worry. Do not worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Which means this is a command to follow, not a suggestion that we can put aside. Jesus, as he redefines in the Sermon on the Mount, what our attitude should be towards some big issues, like he deals with lust and hatred and anger for our brother. What's amazing is that he's equally concerned with our worry. Worry is not just an emotional issue. It's a spiritual one with spiritual implications for our lives. And so we need to talk about worry. We need to see what Jesus says. We need to deal with the spiritual issue. Now, as we define worry, I want to talk about for just a moment the difference between good worry and the type of worry that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. See, there is such a thing as good worry, good concern. Um, I think about my kids as they were toddlers when they were little. I was worried and concerned about their safety. So what do you do? You, you try to toddler-proof the house. Do you remember those days? You put the little things in the electronic outlets, you know, to prevent them from sticking their finger or sticking a toy in the electric outlets. You put things on your drawers to prevent them from opening the medicine cabinet or the knife drawer. That's good concern. That's good worry. It gives you good boundaries and your kids' healthy safety and boundaries. But there's such a thing as bad worry, too. This word for bad worry comes from the idea of being strangled or choked. Good worry becomes bad worry when it begins to strangle us from joy, peace, contentment, sleep. So let's take my earlier example with our kids. Good worry about our kids can become bad worry when the thought of keeping our kids safe becomes so consuming that it sucks the life and joy out of our actual relationship with them. And from enjoying our time with them because we're so worried about what might could happen to them or or what, what problem might arise that we just forget to actually enjoy the moment we have. That's 
bad worry. That's the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about and warning us against. And that kind of worry is robbing us from life and peace and contentment and joy and sleep. Jesus is here to help us in this wonderful passage of Scripture we just read. And he's going to give us three reasons not to worry. And then he's going to get to the heart behind why we worry. And then he's going to give us some weapons that we, uh, that we can use in our fight against worry. So he's going to give us three reasons not to worry first. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Would you just underline or highlight in your Bible app that question? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's an important question that Jesus is asking. Because one of the reasons that we don't have to worry is because life is more than you fill in the blank. It could be anything that Jesus is talking about here. Here's the funny thing about worry. You only worry about things that you care about. You only worry about things you care about. You don't worry about things you don't care about. So I did not worry who, went, who was going to win the national championship game in college football this year because I had no care whatsoever which team was going to win. Now, if somehow in some alternate universe, in some way, my ECU Pirates make it to the football national championship by some miracle. I would be a nervous wreck. I'd have to send my family to go watch the game somewhere else because I'm going to be biting my nails before kickoff even begins. I'm going to be going through all the different situations in my head, worried about what might could happen or what, what was going to happen, all the negative things that could go wrong. And when I'm watching the game, I, I might throw something at the TV or I might yell out loud or I might have a heart attack. Who knows what's going to happen? Why? Because I love my ECU pirates. I care about what happens. Now, God's been teaching me that maybe I care a little too much. Learned that over the years through a lot of losing. It doesn't matter what happens in the game. Don't let it affect or ruin my life. But we only worry about what we care about. It's just the simple truth. So here's, here's an example of this. Money, Right? If our priorities get out of whack and money becomes too important, too much of a priority, we will struggle in our lives with worry about our finances. We have to be careful what value we give certain things in our life because the more value you give to specific things, the more anxiety will rule and reign in that area of your life. So you can see how that happens with money because money's important, is it not? Let's be real. We pay rent with it, we buy food with it, we get vehicles, we get gas. Money is important in the scope of things. But you better not make money your top priority. Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you can only serve one master. You can't serve both God and money. So if you think that money is that one central, essential ingredient to the good life, then you'll worry about it all the time. Where is it coming from? About keeping it, about not losing it. In fact, according to the World Health Organization, America is the most affluent nation in the world, but it is also the most worry-filled nation in the world. Why do you think that is? What's the connection? Maybe our priorities are a little bit out of whack. 
Maybe the stuff that we own somehow begins to own us. If you constantly worry about money, maybe God wants to reorient your priorities. Maybe he wants to remind you that life is more than just money or the stuff you own. It's not that you can't plan for the future or you can't think ahead or you can't be wise when it comes to your finances, but you can't let it rule your life and dictate your happiness. You can't do it. You want another difficult example this morning? How about our kids? Kids are our precious gift from the Lord. Every parent worries about their kids, right? Because we love them. The Bible says they're a gift, and he's given us this task of shepherding and discipling and caring for and raising our kids. But when my priorities with my kids are out of sync with God's priorities for them, it can cause unnecessary worry in my life. This can be so subtle yet so damaging when it comes to worry. For example, through this prayer series, I've realized something about the way I pray for my kids. I don't think I pray for my kids in the right way. Often my chief and primary concern when it comes to my prayer life about my kids, when it comes to my kids' life, is their ease and their comfort and that things will go well for them in their world. I value their well-being. I want them to have things easy. But that can easily shift into this idea of helicopter parenting, of trying to control every circumstances so they're, they're not uncomfortable or trying to make things too easy for them, uh, trying to control every situation they find themselves in. But maybe God doesn't want them to always be comfortable or, or have things easy. Maybe, maybe difficulty or, or hard things is how he plans to grow them or help them mature. If comfort and ease are my top priority, I might actually be short-circuiting their path towards holiness and maturity. And I start to worry about things that I can't even control. And so it's easy to do this when our our kids, I have to constantly remind myself that my priorities and my motives when it comes to my kids might be different than God's priorities, his values when it comes to my kids' lives. So I have to ask myself some questions. Uh, First of all, uh, is would Jesus say that raising kids is more than just their comfort and having things easy? Bart, why are you so worried about your your children being comfortable and making things simple for them? Or do I point my children to worldly success as the, the big goal of their life or the mission of God as their purpose for existence? Am I worrying and being overly controlling because I want to shape my kids into who I want them to be or who God wants them to be? Do you worry constantly over your job? Isn't life more than what you do for work? Isn't your identity more than your career? Are you defined by your job? Do Do you worry constantly about what other people think about you? Is that where we're to find our self-worth or our significance in what other people think or in what God thinks of us? Most of our worries can be boiled down to the simple fact that we have misplaced priorities in life. In Matthew chapter 6, in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us that none of these things are the ultimate thing, but that he is. Our culture preaches and preaches to us that if you'll be happy if you just have a little bit more of this. If you just make a little more money, then finally you'll be content. If you get that next promotion, then finally maybe you'll be happy and and you'll be able to, to have a successful life. If you just get into that relationship, 
you just find that person that, that he has for you, then maybe you'll be okay. But the truth is, and this will revolutionize our worry life more than anything else. Here's the truth. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The message of scripture and the gospel is not that everything in your life is going to work out and go correctly, but that he is enough even when things don't. So Paul prays to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would you take away this thorn in my flesh? I'm so tired of it. I'm so worried about it. I'm so concerned by it that I can't focus on you. And what does God respond with? Not, it's okay, Paul, I'm going to make it better. This is astounding to me. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Wow. I'm enough for you, Paul. My grace is enough for you. My mercy is enough. I've given you everything you need in me. Getting rid of that thorn in the flesh, you think it might help, but it's not. I'm enough for you. I'm enough. I've given you everything you need to glorify me, to live for my purposes, to live for my kingdom. So Jesus reminds us that life is more than food or clothing or you fill in the blank this morning. What's that like for you? The second truth about worry that Jesus teaches when it comes to not worrying is found in verse 26. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? So he gives us a reason not to worry. And that reason is to consider and look at the birds which is not really what you want to hear when you're like up at night and you can't sleep. The last thing you want to hear or see is a bird outside of your window, like chirping the night away, having a great time without a care or without a worry. But Jesus says, no, pause for just a minute. I want you to consider the birds for just one moment. Birds don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather. Now birds work. They don't just sit at the end of a branch, open their mouths up and wait for God to drop in food. That's not how it works. Uh, birds go worm hunting. They fly around. They look for little pieces of branches to make their nests. They work. They're industrious creatures, but birds really don't plan ahead. They don't think about tomorrow. They don't create their own food. They don't plant crops in the ground or store things up. God provides the food. God provides the resources they need every day. So Jesus is making this argument from the lesser to greater. He's saying, look, if God cares about the birds, then certainly must he care for you? He asks the question. In fact, he says, uh, aren't you worth more than they? And the answer is yes, of course you are. Of course, of course you're more valuable than the birds. But look at what I've done for you. I've, I've created you. I care for you. You're created in my image. You've been reborn and recreated through my son, Jesus. I bought you at a great price in your redemption. You're of infinite value and worth to your heavenly father. Romans 8.32 says, He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him grant us everything? How will he not grant us everything? In other words, what more could God have done to prove his commitment to you, his love for you, and his care for you than sending his own son in humiliation to die for you. And if surely, if God cares enough for me to send his son to the cross to die in humiliation for my sins, then certainly I can trust him with my bills. I can trust him with my daily needs. I can trust him with my meals. I can trust him with my future. He continues a similar thought in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? This is similar to consider the birds, but a little bit different in argument too. He puts a little different spin on it. He says, look at the flowers of the fields. They might be here for what? Maybe uh, one season and then go on the next, you know, the, the sun comes out and it's too hot or the frost comes or in South Carolina, the frost comes and the sun comes and the frost comes and the sun comes, you know, and they wilt and they die and you throw them into the fire and that's all they're good for. If God considers the details of every color of every flower in the field, if he knows every blade of grass and those things are just temporary, how much more then does he care for us who are eternal and will live with him forever if we're a follower of Jesus? If he cares for something that's here today and gone tomorrow, how much can he provide for you? How much is he more involved in the details of your life? How much more is he in control of what's happening for you day to day? So don't worry. He cares for you. He's faithful. He has a plan for you. He's in control. He loves you. Look at the birds. Consider the flowers. And then Jesus gives us a third reason not to worry. And that's that worry accomplishes nothing. Look at verse 27. It's kind of a humorous question he's about to ask. I love that Jesus has a sense of humor. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He's got a sense of humor here. He's like, let me ask you something, Bart. When it, uh, when it comes to worry, how's that working out for you? <laughs> What, what is it accomplishing in your life? What good is it bringing? What difference is it making? How's it going for you when it comes to worry? See, worry accomplishes absolutely nothing. It does no good. It solves no problems. It doesn't change anything. One author compared worry to sitting in a rocking chair saying it gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. Actually, you know what? It's much worse than that. It's much worse than that. Worry does not empty today, tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. That was a quote by Corey Ten Boom. In other words, worrying doesn't add an hour to your life. In fact, it actually takes it away. Saps it of joy, saps it of energy. And mentally and physically, we actually get worse. So worry, worrying gets us nothing, but mentally and physically, we're actually much worse. So here's the ultimate question this morning that I want to answer. So look at these reasons not to worry. If life is more than food or more than clothing, if God cares for us much more than the flowers in the field or the birds in the air, if worry accomplishes nothing, then why do we worry? Why do we do it? If we've got all those reasons not to worry, why do we worry so much? Why do we lose sleep? Why do we get anxious? Why do we get trapped in our thoughts? There's five little words you need to see in verse 30 today. Oh, you of little faith. Ultimately, at the root of all worry is unbelief. Unbelief. I heard one pastor say that worry is temporary atheism. In moments of worry, we forget God. We take him out of the equation. 
And what greater insult is there to God for the Christian to believe that God can take us to heaven but can't handle us on earth? That God is good for you for eternity but insufficient for your present situation? That he delivered us from hell but he can't overcome the day-to-day challenges that we face? Here's the truth. What we worry about the most and the places where we worry the most are where we trust God the least. Where we trust God the least. For me, if I'm just real this morning and vulnerable with you, I'll give you an example from my own life. One of the things I often worry about the most is how people view me. Their opinions of me. I I wanna be liked. I wanna be appreciated. I I wanna be valued. And, And sometimes at the heart of my insecurity, I ask questions like, Am I good enough to do, God, what you've accomplished me to do? Am I, am I talented enough? Can I do it on my own? I, I begin to worry about what other people think about me so much so that it becomes a concern that strangles the joy from my life. I, I worry about failing or looking stupid or not being capable. And God is helping me over the years to sort of work through this area of my life. It is something I'm most vulnerable to. And at the root of that worry in my life is actually unbelief. Believing other people's opinions over God's own opinion of who I am. Not believing that God had every perfect and good intention in making me exactly how he wanted me to be. Strengths and my weaknesses. Not being confident in God's, my identity in Christ and God's view of my life. And so God is teaching me to just hold on more loosely to other people's opinions of who I am. And to hold more tightly God's view of who I am and my confidence in him. In fact, let's just do an experiment this morning. Would you just take your, your fist for just a second? Would you clench it? Would you clench it tight? I mean, like your, your fingernails are, are digging into your palms a little bit. Would you just clench your fist for just a moment? Just hold it there for just a second. Squeeze hard. Now, for me, this becomes painful. It becomes difficult. I can't do anything. I can't scroll through my notes here. I I can't do anything. I'm frozen by my worry and by grabbing tightly of all these things. It's painful. It's paralyzing. It prevents me from doing anything else. Now, open your hand for just a moment and relax. Let go. That's what trusting the Lord is like. Saying no to worry means trusting God with everything you've held on way too tightly, too. Your finances, you're gripping onto them. Your kids, holding on tightly. Your job, your future, your health. What area of your life do you worry about the most? And is your hand gripped too tightly around those areas of your life? If so, then this morning, ask God to help you hold on to those things more loosely, to let go and to trust him with those things. As I wrap up this morning, I want to help equip you with some weapons that God gives us against worry. And first, we have to trust God. Have faith in him. If unbelief leads to worry, then belief leads to victory. Belief is the antidote. When overcome with worry, remind yourself about God's truth about the situation you're facing. Fill yourself up with the promises of God's word. Remind yourself that God is good, 
that God can use any circumstance in your life, even the most difficult ones, to bring about his good, his glory, his kingdom purposes. You want, you want proof of that? Just look at the cross. No one in their right mind would believe that anything good could come out of Jesus' death on the cross, but God used it to redeem us and give us new life. God can use any circumstance in life because he's good. Remind yourself that God is in control, that the creator of the universe, the one who holds everything together, the one who cares for the sparrows in the sky and the lilies in the field, he values me even more. And he's in control of every detail and every circumstance in my life. Remind yourself that God is wise. He's wise that he knows uh, that his thoughts are not my thoughts, that his plans are not my plans, that he's wise. This is where prayer becomes such an important weapon in the battle against worry. This is why we're talking about prayer in this series and why we're talking about worry, worry as a part of this prayer series, because you can't pray and worry at the same time. Philippians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Praying is laying down our worry at the feet of God, making our requests for help known to the God of the universe who created everything, being thankful and remembering his past provision for us, and his past faithfulness through thanksgiving, thanking him knowing that he's trustworthy enough to take care of us again. It's letting go and laying down all of our burdens at the feet of Jesus. And so if you bring anything home with you from this morning's sermon, hear this. We need to worry less and we need to pray more. Why? Because guess what? We just talked about worry can't fix anything. It does nothing. It's empty. But guess what? Prayer can Prayer can change anything. Put God to work in any situation in your life and he can move and prayer moves the hand of God. Fill yourself up in your day with worry accomplishes zero. Fill yourself up in your day with prayer. God moves on your behalf. It's amazing what happens. If you want to start to overcome worry, start, start by doing that. Start by praying. Start by giving it to God. It's a weapon against worry. Then verse 33, Jesus gives us another weapon. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to overcome worry? Start by letting go of your own idea of your kingdom and your plans and start seeking God's. Start seeking his kingdom, his plans, his purposes for your life. Lay down what you want. Lay down what you think you need. Lay down control and ask God, what do you want what is your kingdom desire for my life? And then seek his righteousness, that, that faith-filled living that pleases him, that pleases God. Let that become your highest priority in life. So instead, when it comes to money of thinking, you know, instead of thinking like, God, you know, how is this going to work? How am I going to provide, Lord? Uh, you know, how are you going to provide what I need? How am I going to get what I need? Maybe I should start asking God instead, how can I be obedient to what you've called me to do when it comes to my, my finances. Absolutely changed my life when I thought of it that way. God, how can, you, how can I become more generous like you are with my things? And it's amazing how all of a sudden, as I start to align my purposes with God's purposes, you know, my thought of my kingdom into his kingdom, how worry begins to fade away and God provides every single thing I need. 
He provides everything I need. Is God first in your family? Is God first in your marriage? Is he the first priority with your money? Is he first priority with your work and your studies? Is God's view of who you are first over what people think about you? It's amazing how we, when we align ourselves with God and put him first in every area of our life, worry fades away. And then finally, Jesus leaves us with one last weapon against worry. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What what an encouraging way to end my sermon, right? Every day is going to be filled with, with worry and filled with trouble. You think today's bad. Wait till you get to tomorrow. There's more trouble waiting for you. What, a, what an encouraging way to end things, right? But it is encouraging because here's the point that Jesus is making. One of your greatest weapons against worry is just living one day at a time in his daily provision. That's why Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's why he provided manna for his children as they were wandering in the wilderness, but he only provided one day. If you hoard it, if you gather it, if you store it, it's going to spoil. Why? Because he wants us to grow in our dependence upon him. He wants us to grow daily in our acknowledgement that he can meet our needs that day. He doesn't want us to worry about yesterday or tomorrow. He wants us to live in the present. Draw a boundary around the limits of your worry. Don't worry about something related to yesterday or tomorrow. It's outside the boundary. The antidote to worry is just living day to day in God's provision. Don't pull tomorrow's troubles into today's deposit of mercy and grace and strength that he provides. Don't focus on the past griefs that you face and worries from the past. Don't pull that into today because you're going to exceed the limit of what God's provided for you. This is why God has divided our lives into these little chunks that we call days. And when you try to chew off more than one day at a time, man... That's when you begin to choke with worry. That's when you begin to be strangled by the challenges and the problems that you face in life. Just take it day by day. Live in his provision for the day. One of my my favorite passages of scripture is in Lamentations, which is kind of, can be a depressing book. It's all about like our our sinfulness and how that often leads to, to sadness and difficulty. And we lament over the fact that maybe our lives weren't what they were meant to be because of our own choices or our own rebellion against God. And, and yet there's a promise of hope and limitations that I want us to see this morning. Uh, Chapter three, verses 20 through 24. Here's what the Lord says. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. He will give you what you need for tomorrow, tomorrow. He gave you what you need for today, today. And every morning, his mercies are new. So guess what? He'll be with us every morning until the moment we fall asleep that night. And he won't leave us or neglect us. And then the next morning, he'll supply everything we need to live for him that day. And he won't leave us and he won't forsake us. And then we wake up the next morning and he provides everything we need to live for him that day. New morning mercies every single day to live for him, to glorify him, to do and fulfill his purposes in life. His mercies are new every morning. Do what's the best next thing for today. Trust God with your day. He'll provide tomorrow what you need tomorrow. 
I wanted to leave you with these three weapons of worry, and I want to remind you again during this 40 days of prayer that prayer is one of your greatest weapons when it comes to your worry life. And our band's going to come out, and we're going to sing another song together, and we're going to worship together. But every week, we've been opening up just the front of our, our church here to, just for people to come and pray. If you are burdened with worry this morning, if you are sh- struggling to trust God with an area of your life, would you come and would you pray? Would you lay, lay those burdens down at the feet of Jesus? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we want to honor you and glorify you, but yet worry is a real struggle in our lives. Um, trusting you can be a real struggle. When circumstances um, are surrounding us that are beyond our control, when things weigh us down, it's hard for me to see sometimes your plan. It's hard for me to see sometimes your goodness. It's hard for me to see a way out. And I allow worry to strangle the joy that you bring to my life, the contentment that I have in you, the peace I have. I just often let Satan win the battle against worry. God, would you give us the strength to to trust you? Would you help us to, to fight worry in our lives with your weapons, to be reminded of our value to you, your love for us, your care for us? to remind ourselves that life is way more than the things we worry about. That we don't have to hold on tightly to our stuff or anything else, God, but we can hold it loosely, giving it to you and putting it in your hands. God, help us to release our worries to you through prayer, to know we can um, come to you with anything and you'll move on our behalf. That worrying about it is empty, it's in vain, it doesn't do anything. But if we give it to you, God, you move. So, Lord, we give these things to you. We ask that you just help us in this area of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.